Good evening. I want to talk with you tonight about unleashing a missional movement. Uh, we live in interesting times, right, uh, for, on, from various, for various reasons. And one of those things you got to do when, you, when you're living in interesting times is you have to get back to your why. Why is it that we do what we do? What's, what's the why? Because if you can center on your why, you can figure out a way on how to do anything. You got to get the why, though. Uh, I know John Wooden, the famous UCLA basketball coach. We have the March Madness coming up this weekend. Um, I'll watch probably zero games. Actually, <laughs> zero games. Actually, I can guarantee it. However, lots of people will be watching that. And John Wooden, I think, won ten of these championships in like twelve years. Exceptional coach. Exceptional person. And it's interesting, every year we always got the best players, because when you're good, it's easy to get great players to come and play for you. And he was able to give them to play as a team, and he did that because his, his players already always knew the why, and the why was team, and they understood their mission. And it started out with basics. Here's these guys that were the best players that in whatever school they went to, the best players in whatever region they were in. I mean, we even had one of his players was one of our first students here, matter of fact, and that was, he always talked about Wooden, and one of the first things that Wooden did with these guys who were great, sounds ridiculous, he taught them how to put their socks on so they wouldn't get blisters, because if you have blisters on your feet, you can't run very fast, and his game was all about running and gunning on, on the basketball court, so think about that. Back to basics. When we think about what's it mean to follow Jesus, what's it mean to be Jesus' witnesses in this time that we find ourselves uh, we need to get back to basics, and we looked at the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry according to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 417, and one of the first things that we can say, and if you just remember this, you'll know more than about 80% of every Christian you ever meet. It's simply this. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to announce a kingdom, and at the core, that's what the gospel is. Gospel is the good news about the kingdom of God and then our response to it. But sometimes we, we, we forget these things and we get stuck. I remember years ago, uh, it's been probably close to 10 years now, um, I took my daughters to the, to the beach over at Port Canaveral, just a little bit south of, of where the jetty goes out into the Atlantic Ocean. And it was, it was actually this time of year, and it was even a day like today, you know, absolutely gorgeous outside, but the water's just a little cold, right? Unless you have the curries and they're from Canada, so maybe they would get in on a day like this or something, but uh, not for normal folks, right? Uh, and so it was one of those days you just go for a nice walk on the beach in the sun. And so we're walking up the beach towards the jetty. And, you know, I've, I've, never, had a, I've never had a son, so I don't know what little boys are like. So all I know is little girls are like. And so my little girls uh, saw this thing off in the distance. And, you know, I'm an Old Testament scholar. I carry books, read small prints. So I can't see anything, right? So I can barely see you. So my girls go flying off down the beach and they see something and you just see the unforgettable uh, sound, hear the unforgettable sound and see what little girls are. They're jumping up and down all happy, squealing because they found something. And as I get closer, I see this blue something sticking out of the sand. And as I got a little bit closer, I saw what it was. It was one of those, um, I think, remember, it's five-gallon or 10-gallon paint buckets that you can buy, so you can get large amounts of, of paint in this. And as I got closer, I realized why I didn't know what it was. It was sitting sideways, and the reason you think, well, geez, you must be a terrible father if your kids were excited by finding a plastic bucket. Um, that might be true, but there was something on this bucket. You have to ask them, right? Um, and on this bucket were barnacles, 
and they were still alive there. They'd washed up the shore, and you can see the barnacles, those, those little things that kind of come out like this, and they were sitting there in the sun, and the girls were around, and also all of the seagulls from Finding Nemo were right there too. <laughs> And so they were, you know, they were going, mine, 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 mine. And, and so the girls were jumping them down. Dad, hurry up. We got to save them. And I'm like, okay, let's try to save. I like animals too, right? So I'm like, I'll try to save a barnacle. So I thought, how are you going to get a barnacle off? So first I tried to pull the bucket up. Um, but, you know, I'm not a Navy SEAL, and I also didn't have a shovel. So I couldn't get the bucket out because of the, you know, the suction that happens on the sand. And I'm like, oh, boy, what am I going to do? I don't want to disappoint my girls. So I did what I thought I would do. I went by the old, you know, the American way, brute force. So I went and grabbed a barnacle, and it, it scrunched, and I went like this before the girls could see. And, and, and then I'm like, this is not good. There's no hope for these guys. And so doing what, again, I'm available for parenting classes if anybody needs one. So um, doing what every, every great parent does at that point, um, hey, girls, let's go get ice cream. And so we hightailed it back down the beach. <laughs> but, but, but I'll never forget this. I mean, this has been a long time, and this burned in my mind because I thought to myself, wow, here's these barnacles, and they're done. I mean, they're baking in the sun. They're either going to get eaten by a seagull or they're going to get toasted like a potato chip right there on the, on the beach that day. And, it's, and this, then it struck me even more, like at some point, it made absolutely perfect sense to attach to that bucket because it gave them security and it gave them a place to be and they even had community right there. But now because they couldn't let go of their past, they were done. The past is a foreign country. They do things differently there, said uh, Leslie Hartley, an English writer. William Faulkner said, the past is never dead. It's not even past. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who survived the Russian gulag, said, dwell on the past and you'll lose an eye. Forget the past, you'll lose both eyes. And then Emerson, be not the slave of your own past. The greatest danger that we have as we think about trying to get back to the basics is simply being content with staying where we've always been and where we currently are. Because we can get stuck. We can get stuck as communities of faith. We can get stuck personally, especially if you do something, um, either something really horrible happens to you or if something really great happens to you. Both of those things can freeze you in the past when God needs to free us for the future. We can be stuck in our ideological commitments. We can be frozen by what God might want to do in our lives by some limiting belief that makes us think that we can't let go of something. And so as we look at this passage together for a couple minutes and try to get back to basics and back to the, to the roots and back to that uh, burning mission that Jesus launched along those shores of, the, of, the, of, the, of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, I want us to ask ourselves, what would it be like for me personally, what would it be like for my community of faith to trust God enough for us to re-embrace, realign ourselves with God's mission and branch out to that new future that God wants us to? And I, again, I think by moving back to these opening words, we can get back to the basics. And you heard, it, you heard the story read, and this is a familiar passage. The parallel passage is in, is in Mark's gospel, but Jesus begins his ministry 
preaching good news, which is nothing more, nothing less than announcing that God's age of salvation, the very thing that every person in the, coming out of the Old Testament, out of the Jewish community, was longing for, liberation from all forces of evil, all the things that were binding them, waiting for this good news of, uh, of, of, this, of this age. They've been waiting for years, and Jesus shows up and says, it's now present in myself. And so how do we respond to that? We repent or we realign with that. And the key piece here is that Jesus doesn't stay put. Because one of the problems, especially if you grow up in the church, we get stuck because of religion. We get frozen. We become God's frozen chosen because we're afraid that somehow we're going to get out of some box that we think God wants us to be in, when in fact, Jesus is coming along with this kingdom. He's exploding boxes. He's inviting persons into this new future that God desires. So we have to be willing to branch out and move away from past commitments because when we see what Jesus does, Jesus comes to launch a movement, not to create some kind of static thing. Because if, 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 the more I read the Gospels, and I don't know, this, this is both simple and also not easy at the same time. Um, what does Jesus actually do in the Gospels? He just walks around. He walks around, allows him to be interrupted by people that we probably not want to interrupt us, shares good things, does cool stuff, and then leaves. He really does, and then he expects the people that were left behind to do what? Do exactly the same thing that he does. I mean, think about that. It's nothing. We move around, be willing to be interrupted, share good news, do cool stuff, and leave. I mean, that's exactly the opposite of what any of us would do because, you know, we would actually, and again, it's not a criticism, but sometimes we end up planting buildings, which again, not against buildings because we need them, the resources. However, we forget that a building itself is ultimately what? It's an outpost for moving on to the next place. What Jesus embeds here from the very beginning of the Christ following movement is a key principle, and that's simply this. The gospel comes to us on its way to someplace else. The gospel comes to us on its way to someone else. It's, it's as simple as that. That's, 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 that's the gospel that we see here. And so Jesus moves around, and, and think about what he says. He doesn't say, believe in me. I mean, that's what happens in Mark's gospel. And we're not saying that Matthew's, Jesus isn't calling persons to faith, but notice the way that Jesus articulates faith here. And it's in Matthew. He says what? Follow me. Follow me. It's a movement. Now, I don't know if uh, some of you use GPS or not, um, you know, uh, my rebellious nature makes me always want to do the opposite and find my own way there. But the, but the good news about GPS is even for persons like myself, you'll eventually get there because it, what does it do when you get out of alignment? It, tells, it redirects, recalculates, and gives you a new way, right? Now, a couple of things, though. Have you ever noticed that GPS, there's, uh, there's two pieces that are embedded with GPS. Number one, GPS only works if you do what? Well, okay, turn it on, but okay, I turn my GPS on. How about move? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you have to put the car either in drive or in reverse because if you stand still, you're never going to get there no matter how good your GPS is. So it, it assumes movement, just like Jesus. He calls, follow me. And as soon as Jesus starts moving, if we don't move with him, we're instantly out of alignment. Just like if you use GPS, if you're in a pilot or driving or a captain on a ship or on an airline, you use GPS, but you're almost at every, any single moment, you're almost always 
off course because of wind, because if you're in the seas, because of the, you know, the currents, all those things. But because you have GPS and you're moving, it continuously recalculates so you can realign with where you want to be. And then at what point, here's the second question, this might be easier. At what point do you know if the GPS worked? Yeah, like five seconds before you get there. Have you ever thought about that? So what's it take to use GPS? Faith, right? I have to move, and I actually have to believe that it's going to get me there, and I won't know with absolute certainty. Key word. I won't know without absolute, with absolute certainty until I actually get there. Follow me. I will make you fish for people. And so what's a GPS for, uh, for Christians? I want to suggest in the passage, and some of you have heard me say this, but I, I think this is just basics. Um, there's three things that Jesus uses as kind of those three uh, triad that you can use for your own GPS. And I use the, the three letters. It's mission, global mission, people in community, and spiritual transformation. You know, first Jesus says the, the mission part, global mission, come follow me, I will make you fish for people. You know, we know what Jesus is saying. If you go to a, a theology class, what's Jesus saying? Come and follow me, and I'll teach you to be an evangelist, right? But he doesn't say this, and I want to stop there just for a second, because one of the key principles that if we're going to get back to basics is we have to rediscover language. We have to rediscover how to speak human, not simply how to talk master divinity talk, or what we might even do in this place, because look, 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 look what Jesus does, and, and ponder this. Jesus was a carpenter presumably, right? But he uses the language of fishing. Why? Because he's talking to fishermen. So I want to ask us something this. If we want to get back to our roots, I want us to each think of this question. What do I expect or demand that a person become so that they can hear the gospel from me? You know, you think, let that sink in there for again. What, what, what do I demand or expect someone to be or become as the precondition from hearing the good news from me? Do they have to line up with my political beliefs? Do they have to be from the same socioeconomic class? Do they have to speak the same language? Do they have to have the same skin color? You can just roll up all the different things that we use to divide ourselves today. You know, Jesus is a carpenter. He talks to fishermen, and, and, and just think about that. That's the, the gospel embeds that. Matthew took the original language. Because how many people were fishermen who were reading Matthew's gospel? In fact, how many people are fishermen here, right? When I was a little kid, I never fished. And then I thought Jesus was talking about using a fishing pole, right? It's nets and stuff, right? And so the gospel itself captures that principle. We call it incarnation, but it's the idea. It's not that somebody has to change so that they can hear the gospel from me. It's how do I need to change so that the person can hear the gospel from me? The gospel comes to us on its way to someplace else, so we have this idea of global mission, which makes us ask the question, who is my mission? Who's your mission? There's a prayer that God will always answer. Pray that prayer. Who is my mission? The second thing, and this was hinted at already in, in the way that it was read, and I appreciated the reading very much uh, tonight, is that Jesus calls a community together, right? And you know, you know if, in Matthew's gospel, there's never a moment in the history of the Christ-following movement where there's only one Christian all by himself or herself. Because what's Jesus do? Jesus doesn't call one person. He calls two sets 
of two brothers. So there's a community from the beginning. And notice, it's not just any community, right? Because you could have community around just about anything. This is a missional community. So from, again, the very moment, come follow me, I will make you fish for people. And he brings the community together. And we'll see later in Matthew's gospel that Jesus sends them out together as well. So this isn't a call for us to become solitary missional people all by ourselves. It's a call for us to band together as God's people, as his community, to be his hands, his feet, his mouthpieces uh, in the world. So follow me. I will make you fish for people. Bring a community together. So you want to ask yourself, who is my community? Who is your community? Who are the people that, are going to, that you're going to join together with on the mission that God has called us to live out, because we need each other. We, need, we desperately need each other as a community, and we need to set up from the beginning missional communities. If your church exists for anything other than to send people out, you're not a missional community, because those things go together. So it's global mission, people and community. And the last thing that Jesus talks about here is follow me, which in essence, that's a call of a rabbi um, to his teachers. In the ancient world, um, this is unusual, you would go and find a rabbi for yourself out of honor. Instead, Jesus breaks this honor-shame stuff from the first century, and Jesus goes and finds his own disciples and says, follow me. And when you followed some person in the ancient world, that means you become like them. Here at Asbury, we'd call that holiness, becoming Christ-like, becoming transformed, persons who've been transformed by the Spirit but notice in this context that this isn't a holiness that exists by itself. And this is always one of the dangers when we talk about holiness. If we, if we, this is a holiness that assumes a community. This is a holiness that assumes a mission. So we want to talk about phrases like missional community, missional holiness, not just those things in isolation. So Jesus comes to create a movement of followers who he's going to lead into the world on mission, and we know where this mission's ultimately going. Jesus announces the good news of the kingdom, but just to make sure that this stands against any other ideology that we might find in our world. And that's one of the things we're always tempted to subsume the gospel under some other kind of ideology. But just to make sure that Jesus gets his point across, how does Jesus kind of subvert all of these kind of claims? Because when they follow Jesus, where does Jesus lead them? Jesus ultimately goes to Jerusalem. He goes right to the center of power, right? How many of us in Christ family want to get that center of power now? When Jesus goes to the center of power, what happens? He's ultimately rejected by everyone, and he dies on a cross. And that's a powerful metaphor there. Jesus subverts all claims that this world's going to be transformed by any human institution, any human ideology, any human power. In fact, they all conspire together against Jesus, crucify him, and then the good news is what? God raises him up. The kingdom really is here, and it's not coming at the hands of people. It's coming because of Jesus Christ, and that's the game changer. Through Jesus' sacrificial, substitutionary death on the cross— God announces victory in that resurrection. God announces victory over sin, over death, over injustice, over all the chains that bind people all over this planet, over hunger, disease, sickness, all those things. And King Jesus is raised up. And how does the book end? The book ends very much like it starts here in four, chapter 4. Jesus sends out his disciples, right, with the full authority now to do everything that Jesus himself did. And yet, guess what? We're still not alone. 
Because this gospel ends with Jesus saying, I'm with you always. When the church is on mission, Jesus is there. And the good news is Jesus is ahead of us because we're still following Jesus. So we can go into the darkest places on earth, wherever you think that might be. And Jesus is already there, and our light won't, won't uh, will be snuffed out by that darkness. So it's a game changer. And all this Jesus goes with us. And so as we think about becoming missional people, I want to give a little bit of a metaphor. One of my favorite quotes, and I'm trying to live this out, it's, uh, it's by Andre, I don't know how to say his name, Andre Gita. See, he has, one doesn't discover new lands without consenting to lose sight of the shore for a very long time. Um, I was wishing Jorge Rodriguez was here tonight. Um, some of you know him. Um, again, he has a, a powerful testimony. Uh, he's the guy in the wheelchair that you'll see sometimes, and I don't know if you have his testimony. He was actually injured in Puerto Rico um, trying to surf. And I used to surf and I got hurt, my, not like Jorge, but I just hurt my ankle, so I've been making an excuse. But I promised Jorge, I'm getting back on the board this spring. Because when you surf, you learn a lot of stuff. I can remember when I used to surf, and surfers are kind of weird, right? Because what are surfers passionate about? Yeah, it's a real, it's, that's another one of these trick questions, right? They're passionate about surfing, right? And so I wanna, really want to ask us something here. When was the last time any of us was really passionate about something? I mean, really all in passionate, like a surfer. Because you ever know the surfers are crazy? Uh, you know, a hurricane's coming. Everybody's heading west, <laughs> except for the cars uh, with the surfboards. Because it takes the, the worst weather makes the best waves. So when we come up against the times that we find ourselves, and we had to be thinking, hallelujah, people would have died to be alive right now and be part of what God's trying to do now. Think about that. Something bad happens. Good. I get to grow. I can share the gospel. I can be light in all this. And so, you know, when you start surfing, especially off the east coast of Florida, it's hard. I mean, I got bad shoulders. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. I may have to let Jorge down. I don't know. Because <laughs> when you have to paddle out, there's not, there's not coral reefs like there are in some places. Because some places where you surf, you just kind of go out. There's no waves. And then you circled around and you come big and off the, right, the reef where all the waves are. On the East Coast, you've been there, just all waves. So if you want to surf, you actually got to get pounded by the waves to get on the other side of them so you can come back in. After a wipeout, no matter how many stars are buzzing around your head, you simply paddle out and catch another wave. Every wave's different, especially when you can't see like, like me. And even the best wave you'll ever ride doesn't last forever. You got to paddle back out. Surfers are passionate about one thing. They live to surf. And I still remember when I used to surf. Um, some, of, some of you actually at the seminary used to be worried. Aren't you going to get eaten by a shark? <laughs> Aren't you worried about sharks? And, and I always just say, well, I can't see. <laughs> I'll never see him coming anyway, right? Uh, <laughs> But you know what the real answer is? I mean, here's the real answer. If you've ever caught a wave when you've surfed, it's, un, it's, it's almost dumb. It's, it's, it's one of the most awesome feelings that you'll ever experience. The wind whistles, time kind of stops just for a split second, and you literally feel like you're flying. And as soon as you've tasted that, you don't care if there's sharks. You just want another wave. Have you met Jesus? 
I mean, this is back to basics, right? Jesus comes and says, realign. Because the thing that you've, the very thing that you've been longing for for your whole life is now here, and I want you to be part of it. Not only that, I want you to follow me, and we're going to change this world together. And You know, a lot of times people talk about, I want to make a difference in the world. I don't. I want to be with God when God makes a different world. Raise your bar. Raise your standards. We're not about making a difference in the world. We're about, make, we're about working with God to make a different world. And C.S. Lewis said, you're never too old to set another goal or dream. And, you know, when you, re, when you realign with God's missional dreams, when you realign with that kind of butt-naked core of what Jesus was all about, the future's going to look different. Uh, George Bernard Shaw, some of you have heard this quote. It's one of my favorites, wrote this. The reasonable man or person, adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable man persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. Friends, God's looking for some folks who are unreasonable. People that are committed, captured by God's dreams and are unwilling to settle for the stifling status quo and are ready to hear a new call from Jesus into the world on mission. Each of us here has a story. You know, I know what some brought some of you to Asbury. I mean, I've got to know some of you. I've had great colleagues. I mean, Zai's been here for, what, 15 years, 16 years, Daryl the whole time. Well, 17 years like me. I mean, and Jeff's been here for a while. I met Don when she was still in college. We were just figuring that out, which means I'm getting really old, too. I used to be the youngest professor, not anymore. <laughs> That was a long time ago now. But, you know, whatever brought you to Asbury, God wants you here to shape you, to mold you, but to ultimately unleash you back into the world as part of an elite cadre of visionary women and men, world-changing leaders that God wants to reach the world with Christ, through whom God wants to reach the world and preach the gospel anew. So, God's calling us something bigger. So it's time for us to quit trying to avoid risk and start enjoying the ride. Quit focusing on institutions, and let's be a movement. Let's not just protest injustice. Let's embody the kingdom. Let's not worry about saving the church. Let's save the world. It's not about looking for a charitable cause to fund. It's about channeling your resources to ignite a revolution of the soul. So call people. Give people a big why. Give people a big why. Don't, don't, don't give people the cheap, easy version. People don't want that. People are starving and hungry. As a matter of fact, people will listen to you for a long time if you're passionate and you can give a why. It's not about soaking in spirituality and moving along to the next God mo- moment. It's about being shaped into the sort of profound person that God can use to send the gospel to the darkest places. It's not about building plans, membership drives, raising budgets, planning promotion of programs. It's always about people. Who's my mission? It's not what is a mission, it's who is my mission. And it's particularly about people that are outside, the people that don't yet know Jesus, the people that are truly desperate, whether they know it or not, for the things that only Jesus can do. It's not about celebrating our educational achievements. You know, some of you here to get the MDiv, Master of Divinity, but really we want to realign our goals so that we can be mastered by divinity. It's it's about moving from people who can't or people who might or even people who should. Aren't you sick of shoulds? 
I should do this, I should do that. Yeah, you should, but you know what? You never will until it's a must. We need to, we need to become people who must, people who must follow Jesus. I challenge you today, where are you? Go back to basics. It's still the same. We've got to learn how to put our socks on, tie those shoes tight, learn how to shoot a basketball, hold it right, pass, move. It's all the same, the basics, and you're never too old to become that person that God created you to be. What would it take for you to rekindle, reimagine God's mission and what that would mean for your life today? Again, our text started off realigned. Here's a couple questions for us. Who is my mission? Who are the people that God puts you in your mind when you say that? Who's my community? Who's the people that love me? Who's the people that are here to help me? Not just to hold me accountable, but also, accountable, but also to encourage me and send me out. What kind of church do we need to become? What kind of person do I need to become to reach the other in my life? And then maybe the key question, am I all in? Am I ready to leave the shoreline? Because, friends, it's time to sail safely out of the harbor. Leave the safety of the harbor and move straight into the stormy seas in search of those men and women who are desperate for what only God can do. I look forward to having everybody in class again. It's my privilege to be here, and thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Amen. Oh,